At Christianity Still Makes Sense, our passion is to help doubters and encourage those deconstructing to think otherwise. It's not surprising to hear stories of people in such situations describe how they can't get behind the ethics of Scripture. So, in exchange for a crack at hedonism, many have ditched Christianity to join the cultural party of pleasure without boundaries. But do morals matter? Can we make sense of them? Is there a way to ethically live that is fulfilling and not stifling? Or is all this ethical talk of the Bible a pastime, a bad hangover from an age out of touch with today? Well, on today's episode, we are going to dig into the topic of ethics by developing a biblical approach to it. Welcome to the show that loves doubters. Here on Christianity Still Makes Sense, we are making sense of the doubts that can deconstruct our Christian faith with near apostate and now pastor and apologist, Dr. Bobby Conway. I'm your host, Tim Hall. Well, Bobby, let's start with maybe one of the most obvious questions is why do you think the topic of ethics is so important? Well, largely because it's inescapable, Tim. Every day we are confronted with decisions of right and wrong, But sadly, a lot of people have never thought through questions such as why be moral or how do I think ethically and apply those thoughts to my everyday decision making? For example, I heard the story of a father explaining ethics to his son that was about to go into business. The father said to the son, suppose a woman comes in and orders a hundred dollars worth of material. You wrap it up and you give it to her. She pays you with a hundred dollar bill. But as you, you But as she goes out the door, you realize she's given you two $100 bills. Now, here's where ethics comes in, the father said. Should you or should you not tell your partner? Now, what's even more wrong with this advice is the dad never intended for the son to give the lady her money back. He just wondered if if he should cheat his business partner or not. I came across an ethics test online where you could be scored for how ethical you are. I pulled one of the questions off to read to you. The question said, would you sell a story to the tabloids for $1 million knowing it would ruin the life of a celebrity? A, maybe, uh, right? But only if I knew it was true. B, yeah, but only because I need the money. C, I do it in a heartbeat. D, are you kidding? For a million, I'd sell you my sister. Or E, no, that would be horrible. See, Tim, all of us must decide how we are to ethically construct our lives. Ethical decisions are inescapable. When a shady business deal comes your way and you can make a huge cash cow, do you have a biblical ethic for that moment? Or when your love for your spouse is running dry and you supposedly and your supposedly Romeo or Juliet comes along and throws themselves at you. Do you have a biblical ethic to handle that particular situation? Or what about when the unexpected pregnancy comes at a very inconvenient time? Do you have a biblical ethic that will guide your decision? These type of ethical dilemmas happen often when we least expect it during a casual business luncheon or in the quietness of our own home or on a business trip, uh, while we're watching TV at the hospital in front of a CPA, uh, on one side of the dilemma comes a temptation from Satan, but then on the other side comes the test from God. So when it comes to ethics, 
we have people who fit, Tim, in different camps. You have people who reject moral absolutes altogether in the name of relativism. Or you have people on the other side of the spectrum who shift from beyond morality and they go to legalism. And legalism, it sort of poses as morality, but it's a killjoy of even true freedoms. Well, okay. And I think that, that those are some great examples. And boy, I'd love to see the other questions on that, that ethical <laughs> test, if that's an example. Yeah. But, but, uh, but you've used the term several times. So maybe let's talk about the definition. Uh, for the sake sure. of, of a definition, what is the study of ethics? Essentially, ethics can be boiled down to the study of what is right and wrong. The word ethics comes from the Greek word ethos, it, meaning a stall for horses or a place of stability and permanence. So that is what a good biblical ethic is supposed to provide, a sense of permanence to our life. Um, it's to offer stability to a person. And I have found that at times some Christians don't have a problem knowing what's right and wrong. They just can't explain why they believe a certain issue is right and wrong. And this is where ethics or applied ethics can be very helpful. And here's what we're talking about, how ethics apply to various moral issues, Tim, like abortion, capital punishment, sexuality, transgenderism, artificial intelligence, euthanasia, creation care, various birth technologies, war, economy, marriage, and family, things like that. As Christians, we want to be able to think biblically about these type of moral issues. I fear our ethics, though, are shaped more by culture than scripture. And this is why it's important for us to not think about morals from the standpoint of, well, how do I feel about it? Or how do I think about it? We all need to know what's influencing our moral world picture. And for us as Christians, that should be scripture. Well, in a sense, it seems like that we've lost this ethical discussion in our culture today. And, and philosophically speaking, wasn't there a, a day and a time even when non-Christian philosophers held to a high value of ethics? 100%. Think about ancient Greek philosophers, Tim, like Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. They were consumed with what creates a noble culture hmm. and they were consumed with the idea of the good and what is the good. And being a moral person was huge to those philosophers. In fact, these ancient sages thought that culture should be led by moral philosophers. Uh, that is uh, philosophically moral minded people. How far we've drifted from that, right? right? Right. And when you think about Plato, I mean, he pondered a lot on the idea of the good. Aristotle wrote his Nicomachean Ethics, one of the greatest books on ethics ever penned. Uh, with him, we get one of the main schools of moral philosophy, that is virtue ethics. Uh, virtue, uh, from the Greek word, erite, and in his book, he talked about the experience of eudaimonia, which means happiness. So for Aristotle, he knew people desperately wanted to be happy, and he showed them a way to be happy through happiness. The more one lived virtuously, that is with arete, uh, the greater happiness or eudaimonia people could experience. And that was what Aristotle believed. And then you take someone like Socrates, for example. He was the first of the three. 
Socrates mentored Plato, Plato mentored Aristotle, and then Aristotle actually, uh, he mentored uh, Philip of Macedon's son, Alexander the Great. Now, obviously, it doesn't seem like Aristotle's ethics rubbed off too much on poor Alexander, but nevertheless, Aristotle uh, cared about ethics. But back to Socrates, uh, the one whom the Oracle of Delphi said was the wisest of them all, the one known for his Socratic method of discipleship. He was a noble man. In fact, Socrates was sentenced to death on account of tainting the youth with his false teachings and not bowing the knee to the Greek pantheon of gods. When given the chance to recant, he refused. And guess what, Tim? For keeping his character intact, uh, which was his passion, and staying true to what he believed and what mattered most to him, he refused to recant. And so as a result, he drank strychnine and he died a martyr's death for refusing to compromise his integrity. That was Socrates because morality mattered to him, because ethics had a place. But sadly, in most of today's institutions, philosophers have lost touch. In many ways, explaining away morality, God, and bro, even reality. <laughs> well, yeah, and so I'm going to make an appeal to our audience, but I do have some more questions for you. So I hope that you as the audience do, do the good thing and head on over to our YouTube channel and like this video, share it and subscribe <laughs> while you're there because it really helps support the show. And I'd also like to ask, you know, have you ever checked out our website, ChristianityStillMakesSense.com? There you will find links to all of our other shows. You'll be able to read what we believe as a ministry and you'll be able to invite Bobby to speak at your event. And while you're there, that we would cons we would hope that you would consider uh, supporting uh, us financially and jump on our support team to help shows like this continue. So, uh, Bobby, do you think that someone has to believe in God's existence to be moral? This is one of the, the main questions that we see posted all over the place on our social media, other people's social media, on other YouTube videos. People get angry when they think that you imply that you have to believe in God to be moral. But is that really the case? Unpack this for us. No, and it's unfortunately a teaching uh, that has been stretched to mean more uh, than it can mean. Mm. And it's taking the doctrine of total depravity and basically saying that somebody is so totally depraved that they can't be moral until uh, they're saved. But total depravity doesn't mean you're as bad as you can possibly be. It means you're as bad off as you can possibly be without God. Total mm. depravity means that on a, in a total, total way, uh, that is to say that the fall messed us up in totality. That is our rational faculties, our volitional faculties, our emotional faculties have all been affected and impacted by the fall. But that doesn't mean there's not some residue of goodness that can still exist in humanity, and that's because we are created in God's image. Morality has been stitched into our conscience. It's as if we uh, come prepackaged with an innate sense of right and wrong. In fact, in Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, Paul the Apostle helps us understand the power 
of conscience. He writes, when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So now I know, um, you know, some could perhaps be thinking, but wait, Bobby, there are those that act like this law doesn't exist. And there are a few cultures that do value traits like deception. Why is that? Well, there are those who live in such a way that they totally disregard their conscience, right? So that is true. But where does it say the law is written? On their hearts. And what does the Bible say about the heart? Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. So some people have deceived themselves into believing there is no such thing as right and wrong. Uh, we can't trust conscience alone because we as people uh, can become deceived. It was the ancient philosopher Demosthenes who said, nothing is so easy as to, to, as to deceive oneself for what we wish we readily believe. So we can talk ourselves into anything if we are not careful. No one will notice if I take a hundred bucks out of the register here and there, we might think. Or if I don't tell anyone about my affair with my secretary, it won't hurt anybody, we might rationalize. Or what's wrong with blasting the bong here and there, someone might think. Or so I told my boss I'm sick for a fun day. Who cares? Big deal. This deadening of the conscience, Tim, is hyperactive in our culture today. We rarely hear politicians and leaders talking about the importance of character and integrity. Our kids are being raised in a society that says little about virtue and character. It's a culture obsessed with hedonism, frankly, and sexuality. And the lack of ethics is very evident in our children's classrooms today. It was Abraham Lincoln who said, and I paraphrase, what is taught as philosophy in one generation will be the practice of the next. Mm. For example, consider Peter Singer, Tim, arguably the world's most famous bioethicist philosopher at Princeton University. In fact, he's so influential, the New York Times has said of Singer, no other living philosopher has had this kind of influence. The New Yorker uh, called him the most influential philo philosopher alive. Marvin Alasky, the editor-in-chief for, uh, for World Magazine, interviewed Singer uh, some years ago uh, about some of his ethics. Listen to this, Tim. Uh, Alasky uh, says, what if two people make an agreement, uh, Mr. Singer, that whoever lives longest can have sexual relations with the corpse of the person who dies first. Singer said, well, there's no moral problem with that. Alasky says, well, should people have sex with animals seen as willing participants? Singer responded, I would ask, what's holding you back from a more fulfilling relationship? But it's not wrong inherently in a moral sense. Alasky what about parents conceiving and giving birth to a child specifically to kill him, to take his organs, and to transplant them into their ill older children? Singer replies, it's difficult to warn parents 
who can take such a detached view. But they're not doing anything really wrong in itself, Alaska replies. Is there anything wrong with a society in which children are bred for spare parts on a massive scale? Singer, no. Alaska further stated, Whitaker Chambers, a half century ago, wrote, Man without God is a beast, and never more beastly than when he is most intelligent about his beastliness. But part of Mr. Singer's effectiveness in teaching practical ethics to Princeton undergraduates is that he does not come across personally as beastly. And this uh, can be found in the article, The Blue State Philosopher, Philosopher from World Magazine back in 2004. You see, wow. Singer's depravity runs deep, Tim. He also advocates killing uh, the retarded or handicapped. Uh, I saw a movie last night, Tim, with my wife called Champions. And it was just such a good uh, movie. Uh, and it had Down syndrome, ch- Down syndrome children acting on a basketball team. And the film was precious. Well, Singer would have been okay making sure that those kids would have just been aborted before they were born, like the rest of the 99% that are. I wonder if he, uh, when he gets older, since he doesn't mind advocating the elderly, would be willing to volunteer himself. Though it is true, though it is true, Tim, that our conscience can be quenched, if we listen to the little hints it gives off, we will find that we have a built-in law on the tablets of our heart given directly from God. Wow. I mean, those words from Singer are eye-opening and heartbreaking all at the same time. Man. So, I I mean, I I do know that next week we're going to dive into this topic a little bit more, and specifically as it relates to Christians developing an ethical appeal to life. But uh, why why don't you whet our appetite uh, just a little bit as we close today? Why do you think uh, every Christian should take some time to construct an ethical stance of ethical issues from a biblical perspective? Sure. Uh, First off, because God cares about morality. Uh, In fact, he says, be holy for I am holy. So our motivation for holy living, for living with ethics is God himself. And I think that we should reflect on God and his character. And the fact is, if we were created in his image and Part of being created in his image means that we are to be moral beings, then that should matter to us. And we should care about that. And if God is the most fulfilled being of all time, the one who has never known guilt or shame or a moral failure, the most fulfilled being, the one who would know joy and happiness beyond what any of us could possibly ever imagine, It would seem as if then when he's inviting us to be holy or commanding us for that matter to be holy, that we should be motivated by that because who's going to be more fulfilled than the very being who made us than God himself. And so we should trust that when he says, be holy as I am holy, that there's something worth living in such a way as to live our lives in a a way that would exhibit character. So I'd say first off, because God cares about morality. I'd say next that understanding ethics and applying them can help us navigate difficult 
um, cultural times without compromise. So think about the moral revolution that we're living in right now, Tim. Uh, we are constantly seeing things change. Uh, we're seeing people say that abortion is good. We're seeing people say that drugs are good. Uh, we are living in a genital obsessed culture uh, that is obsessed with figuring out their pronouns. Well, when we're Bible based as Christians, uh, we don't have to jump ship uh, every time the culture uh, gets excited about some new ethical trend. We can realize that that ethical trend will die out, will will produce consequences. Like, like here's what we can know right now. There are consequences no doubt to the things that our culture is championing right now mm -hmm. saying jump ship do this there's going to be total consequences in fact even in the uk right now people are starting to slow down on some of uh the the pronoun stuff because they're realizing some of the surgeries and all this stuff is problematic but mm -hmm. we're full throttle in america well guess what when we just stay put it can help us navigate these difficult times I'd say ethics can help us better influence culture as well. We can just be a model of the moral life. Uh, and, and people that are struggling with guilt and shame and consequences, while we stay put, living out God's moral uh, life that is inscribed in scriptures for us, people can see us and it gives us an opportunity to shine for the Lord in a dark culture that desperately needs it. I'd say biblical ethics can protect us from consequences of walking in ways that God didn't intend for us to walk in. And this is huge. Think about Psalm 1. Blessed is he who, you know, walks uh, according to the ways of the Lord. Tim, I've lived on both sides of the tracks, never hearing the gospel till I was 19. I lived the way the culture invites us to live, mm -hmm. the way the culture celebrates in promiscuity, with drugs, with alcohol, with hedonism, living according to my feelings. Uh, and the funny thing is, is the culture celebrating that. And before I ever even knew who the Lord was or heard about Christ, uh, I was already living and experiencing many consequences. And listen, consequences were happening in my life, not just the consequence of feeling guilty. Living that way will destroy your life. I wasn't trustworthy. Uh, I had all kinds of consequences uh, that I could talk about. And walking with God has allowed me to live a much more rich life, fulfilling life. And so I want to say that God isn't trying to be some holdout to fun. He's trying to protect us from destroying our lives. Yeah. And lastly, Tim, I'd say it's also extremely helpful when it comes time to voting. Uh, you think about what issues the candidate holds to and how the, uh, their views line up biblically. And it just allows us to have a better compass for overall moral decision making in our lives. Well, and I know that we're going to talk a little bit more specifically about this in next week's show. So we would invite people to, to come back. Any final closing thoughts you want to leave our audience with? I would just encourage people to really consider um, when they're thinking about a moral decision to ask, what is it that's driving their influence? Are, are they influenced more as it relates to issues like abortion, uh, homosexuality, uh, drugs, alcohol, uh, the person you're going to vote for? It, are you just thinking about how you feel about it? Because our feelings play precious little if they're not biblically measured. Mm -hmm. Or are you thinking about just your thoughts 
or what the culture would say or pleasing people. Because at the end of the day, we all have to have a biblical worldview. And that means that as Christians, we should be thinking first and foremost, what does the Bible have to say about sexuality, about marriage, about, um, you know, voting, though it doesn't speak specifically to it, what kind of principles can we extract? Uh, What would the Bible have to say about my thought life? What would the Bible have to say about drunkenness? Mm. And instead of leading with our feelings first and our thoughts first, I would say lead with the word first. And when our feelings and our thoughts are out of sync with the word, then those are the times we got to go into prayer and say, God, help my feelings and thoughts to align with your word. Excellent. Well, we, we hope you found this show helpful. And in fact, we would love to hear your feedback in the comment section below this video on our YouTube channel. Doubters, thanks for joining us. We will meet you on the next episode of Christianity Still Makes Sense. Thank you for checking out this episode of Christianity Still Makes Sense. This show is just one of the many resources available to those who are doubting their Christian faith. You can also find others at ChristianityStillMakesSense.com. This is a listener-supported show, and your gift of any amount helps shows like this continue. Click on the donate link on our website. Also, catch Bobby on Pastor's Perspective, where he answers your questions. Finally, if you're watching on YouTube, be sure to click subscribe and check out our other videos on the channel. This show was sponsored by K-Wave and Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa.